0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to If The Bill Fits Podcast. My name is Wyatt Juntinen, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Ashley Sugar and Tori Huss.
1: Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us this week.
2: Hey, everyone. Happy December.
0: We created this podcast to summarize active legislation, to help you hear the policy debate and encourage healthy discussions. We definitely won't always agree. However, the focus of this podcast is to present you with arguments from both sides of the aisle. So you're more equipped and better informed to be politically engaged. In our last episode, we wrapped up our discussion of the Supreme Court with the Regular Appointment Act of 2020 by Representative Roe Connor. In this week's episode, we will be switching gears and discussing Senate Bill forty six forty-six, titled Unplug the Internet Kill Switch Act of twenty twenty by Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky. The bill currently has two original co-sponsors in the Senate, Democratic Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon and Democrat Senator Gary Peters of Michigan. Additionally, Tulsi Gabbard, a Democrat representative from Hawaii, has introduced HR 8336, an identical bill in the House. This bill would repeal provisions in five subsections of section 706 in the Communications Act of 1934 which allows the president to shut down or take over the use or control of specified telecommunications services through the exercise of certain emergency powers. As of December 2nd, 2020, a CBO cost estimate has not been received for this measure.
1: Just to touch on the Communications Act of 1934, it was created by the FDR administration. It established the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, to oversee and regulate the communications industry agency was broadly tasked with regulating radio telephone and telegraph communications yes telegraph existed back then and it was reused primarily and it primarily worked to issue and renew operator licenses the legislation also authorized the fcc to penalize the broadcast of what the law describes as seen indecent or profane content
2: okay so tori has the t as usual in subsection c and d which are to be removed by this bill It basically states that upon proclamation of a national emergency or threat of war, the president may suspend or amend the rules and regulations applicable to any or all stations or devices that are capable of emitting electromagnetic radiations within the U.S. This would also be able to allow the president to cause the closing of any station for radio communication. But again, this bill was made in 1934. We have a lot more devices that would be shut off during this. Ashley, do you happen to
1: have any in mind that you'd like to discuss? Well, it would also include like your hair dryer. It would include any of your exercise equipment. I mean, I think when they passed this legislation, they didn't realize just as far as technology would take us in now the 21st century.
2: So yeah, and also even stated in subsection C is that it may be exercised in the canal zone, which isn't even a part of the United States anymore. So regardless, this bill needs some updates. So what stands out to me in subsection D is that although it allows it to be applicable to wire communications, it also allows government agencies to make use of the facilities that they close or regulate. And because of this, that actually leads to subsection E, which causes compensation. So the president has the ability to ascertain the just compensation for such use or control over the facilities that the government agencies would be utilizing. It's interesting because if the amount that is certified is unsatisfactory to the person who owns the facility that's being taken over... The person is allowed to be paid only 75% of the amount that the president had established, and then they can take it to court to recover such further sums to add to that payment. So it's interesting. There's a lot going on in this, these subsections. Uh, and then the last one, just kidding, there's two more. So in subsection F, it basically states that nothing in subsection c or d can be construed or amended or appealed or impaired to affect the existing laws or powers of the states and g emphasizes limitations upon presidential power which there's limits to presidential power in this bill (laughs) can you believe that seems like it's growing it's at the very bottom and very tiny fine print in the final subsection, which is subsection G to be repealed by the Kill Switch Act, it basically allows the president to have the same powers to make any amendments and rules and regulations that the Federal Communications Commission has. Okay, so now that we're finally done going through all of the subsections to be repealed, Ashley, do you mind touching a little bit on
1: who Rand Paul is and what it means to be a libertarian? Yeah, Rand Paul is a interesting senator. He was recently trending on Twitter. So I'm sure many are familiar with him. Uh, But I do love a good Rand Paul uh, piece of legislation. Uh, He is a constitutional conservative, but he also does describe himself as a libertarian. He is not, he does not run for election under the Libertarian Party, though he does run under, uh, run under the Republican Party. But I think it's important to discuss libertarians because I think people get them confused and conflate them with conservatives a lot of the time. But libertarians are not right or left; they can be on both sides of the political aisle. They believe in autonomy and freedom, and that is why this bill is so important to Rand Paul because uh, he believes in you know the separation of powers and he believes in small government. The Libertarian Party is actually the third largest political party in the United States. And I don't, I don't think people give them, I guess, the credit that they deserve as far as how popular they are in the United States. What's interesting, is, though, is that we only have one member in the House that is a declared Libertarian, and he is from Michigan. That is Representative, I might be butchering his name, but Amash. Uh We don't have any senators that are currently Libertarian, although we do have many that lean that way, like Rand Paul. And recently in the last election, Joe Jorgensen ran under the Libertarian Party and she received 1.8 million votes in the recent election. So I just think that's really significant in the election. And if you guys wanna find any more information about Libertarians, I strongly suggest checking out the Cato Institute.
0: So obviously our technology and our views on presidential powers has evolved since 1934. So why is this bill coming up again and why now?
1: It's resurrected from the dead. No, I think it's really timely with COVID. I think we're seeing with coronavirus, coronavirus is being used kind of as like a tool uh, to unconstitutionally, in my opinion, outlaw many things. Like uh, we're seeing that I know in the state of California, you're not allowed evictions nation or actually nationwide. You're not allowed evictions. Uh, some states even went as far as to outlawing. We're not outlawing, but mandating against lawn services. So um, we are seeing a big increase in state power of governors and even the federal office of the president. We're seeing huge growth of government power due to the coronavirus.
0: So, Tori, what are your thoughts on why this bill and why now?
1: I think that this bill
2: specifically has a lot of power to affect millions of Americans across the nation. And I think that Congress has become too political to rely on checks and balances only. We currently have a president who's been impeached but not removed from office who continues to abuse power. Whether it's the current president or another, there's just too much power within this bill that I'm just not comfortable with.
1: Yeah. And I think Americans are getting worried because I think like to point out, local leaders are abusing their power left and right. And we're seeing how hypocritical they've been. You know, you have Nancy Pelosi getting her hair done in San Francisco. We have the Austin mayor live streaming for people in Austin to please stay indoors, you know, social business as he's in Cabo. You know, Governor Newsom enjoyed a really nice dinner the other night in Napa. And, you know, the mayor of San Francisco did the same at the same restaurant a week later. So I think the public is very frustrated with their leaders and they feel less that they don't feel their leaders are being accountable with their actions. And so due to the coronavirus being used as this kind of tool to uh, gain more power yet they're not following their own rules. So I think it's definitely a hot topic right now. Politicians
2: across the
0: board, most definitely. I think it's also worth mentioning as well that the uh, commissioner, Jessica rosen of the Federal Communications Commission made remarks on January 28th of this year uh, regarding section 706 of the Communications Act. and the opportunity really that that lays out, and the power that that gives the president to really just shut off communications. Um, It was interesting, and I think that could have had an impact on this bill as well.
1: Yeah, Wyatt, I think that is extremely relevant to this bill, that the comments that were made at the State of the Net conference um, in Washington, D.C. earlier this year we don't really have a definition for what's considered a crisis i mean in the term has extremely has grown extremely in recent years you know everything is a crisis or an emergency we have the housing crisis we have you know a healthcare crisis you know the student loan debt crisis and it's actually interesting because currently we have 35 current national emergencies still on the books in the united states um, on the federal level coming from the office of the president That stems all the way back to you know Clinton years, and even I think Carter. So it's really interesting that we still you know have this growth in this term, and so this legislation gives so much power to that. Yet you don't really need a state of emergency in order to enact this law, like Wyatt had said in those previous comments made at that conference.
2: I think that that's you know a really a really important point. Um, I think that also I did want to mention. So the other night Wyatt and I were watching. Via Zoom, the documentary called Kill Switch. And in it, a Harvard professor named Lawrence Lessig uh, stated that control that gets erected for one reason and maybe a good reason gets deployed and exercised for a different reason and not necessarily for a good reason. You build the machine to deal with the terrorists, you then have a machine in place to deal with the copyright infringers. I'm not an anarchist. I think that the law needs to regulate certain kinds of behavior, but we need to be sensitive to the way in which we build an infrastructure for control that gives the government wildly too much power to regulate in contexts where liberty and innovation is threatened. And I think that that quote is really important here because there is so much power in this, these few subsections of being able to shut off the internet completely for the American people, which I just wonder... Um, in my opinion, I think that it tends to violate constitutional rights. And I wanted to see, Ashley, do you have any thoughts on that as well?
1: Yeah, I like that quote you bring up, Tori. It's kind of similar to uh, Frederick Hayek said, quote, emergencies have always been the pretext on which the safeguards of the individual liberty have been eroded. I think the question that's like looming over this legislation, it looms over many pieces of legislation that kind of have that crossover between national security and individual liberty is, should the government be able to violate freedoms protected by the Constitution? And I say protected, and I really want to emphasize that just because I think there is a misconception that the constitution gives us our freedoms. And that's not true. They just protects them. We get our freedoms from something else, but that's another conversation. But that question is something that I ask myself a lot. I mean, there's pieces of legislation, like the Patriot Act, extremely controversial because of this very same question. You have to be able to weigh national security and individual liberty and freedom. And I have to say personally, I've, it's been very difficult for me in the past because I see a need per se for the Patriot I'm not saying I 100% support it, but I can see where they're coming from from a national security point of view, as well as other decisions. I mean, you could talk about the Korematsu decision that was made. That was made, again, individual freedoms versus national security. And that's a very interesting crossroads. You And I don't think you have to pick one or the other every single time, but I don't think it's a very black and white issue. There's many things that go into those decisions. I mean, I think this bill... I'll get into further a little bit later, but I don't really see much national security need for it anymore. But yeah, Tori, I think that's a really interesting and difficult issue to talk about. And I think, again, it's not black and
0: white. I really like what you brought up there, Ashley. And I, I kind of did a little bit of digging into you know what I thought could be potential uses for Section 706. You know, Hypothetically, if the president ever felt that he might need to enact this authority, what could it look like? And has it ever been done before? Uh, and what I found is that no, the president's never acted on this authority because undoubtedly these days it would definitely be challenged in court very quickly as being unconstitutional. So what's keeping the president from acting on this authority is pretty much just a understanding that it would be challenged. Um, but why would the president ever feel he may need to he or she may need to act on this authority? Uh, maybe it's a cybersecurity attack that's attacking our national infrastructure. Um, But the thing is, even under our current president in his national cyber strategy published by the White House in 2018, Section 706 was not even mentioned a single time. So even from our executive branch that is vested this authority, this section isn't even considered as being an option for protection of our cyber infrastructure.
2: I also can't imagine that without this legislation, that even private companies in the case of a cyber attack, would have the power to shut off if they needed to. And I can't imagine that they would want to do anything that would hurt the people using it. So I think that it's just, there's other ways around necessarily, you know, being able to control the internet and access to communication without it necessarily being in the hands of a politician.
1: Well, yeah, and our military has come such a long way from 1934. I I think we have the infrastructure, the military infrastructure to handle a cyber attack. I can't think of one legitimate reason this act would need to be put into place or how to justify any act that would need to be taken through this legislation or through the original legislation, I should say.
0: I think the point remains valid, however, that the concerns over this act is that there's nothing inherently stopping the president. From using this power
2: right right and i do want to bring up a few places in which it has been used so from doing a little bit of research i found that kill switches have been used in other countries this includes china iran and even in democratic nations such as india they've exercised an internet kill switch act for various reasons so so china actually shut down the internet for an entire year in 2009 in the western regions of china to stop protests and riots within that region. Iran temporarily killed the internet in 2019 to shut down the spread of information during anti-regime protests. And this is kind of what concerns me is in democratic nations like India, they've exercised the kill switch in some regions to control the populace and stifle communication. And the big thing that concerns me is going back to, does this impact our constitutional rights? What about freedom of speech? What about... Freedom of the press to get information to the people. How about the Fourth Amendment? Is there a potential that this is unreasonable seizure of the internet? What does that look like to you guys?
1: Yeah, I don't think any of these nations that you've described, even in the use of it in India, I would say not the nation, I would say, but the use of it in these nations is not something that serves as a role model for the United States. I think we have a clear freedom of speech in this nation and a clear bill of rights. And in those cases, in those instances, in India, in Iran, in China, those are clear violations of the First Amendment. And as a nation, even President-elect Biden, who will be um, coming into office very soon, is very um, clear with his stance against the human rights violations in China and their use of force to, or even in this, it's almost, I guess, I would consider this still force, um, but more like, I guess, a intellectual force or intelligence force um, to stifle protests in the nation. Um, I think we've seen in the United States in recent years, especially this year, how important the First Amendment is and the use of being able to express yourself on the streets and to let leaders know your feelings. And I think that would be a very sad day in the United States when our president could stifle our freedoms by turning off the internet.
2: Uh, Speaking of president's thoughts, I wasn't necessarily able to get specific individuals' thoughts on this piece of legislation, but in response to net neutrality, President Obama had stated that more than 4 million people wrote into the FCC overwhelmingly in support of a free and fair internet. Countless others spoke out on social media, petitioned their government, and stood up for what they believe. He talked about how this was the reason that he ran For president was to you know ensure that people got the change that they wanted and i think that in support of a free and fair internet this comes into play within this bill specifically too i mean people want access to that internet and don't want that shut down to stop their communicating for whatever purposes especially for reasons of peaceably assembling
0: yeah i think Especially during COVID, we've seen how that like right to organize and right to communicate has really evolved to be more virtual. You know, our ability to gather over Zoom and talk freely and know that these communications are protected is super important. And we've seen the influence of governments who don't have that same respect. You know, the Chinese government monitoring students' communications inside the United States. So if they have you know one of their citizens studying abroad over here, they could be still held liable by their government for those communications. Um, fortunately, we have those rights respected in the United States, but I think it's very crucial as we see communication evolving and organizing uh, for political speech evolving to be more online, that we take any risk to those communications very seriously.
1: I think also an important conversation to be had here is we see some suspicion around the internet and the use of the internet in the United States. We don't believe, I don't think, that the internet is perfect, especially the talk of social media recently um, with their uh, censoring. And this has been a very hot topic, even on the Hill. You guys have seen current, recent hearings with the founders of multiple social media sites in the United States. But this could go as far as I think we could all agree, or maybe we would we would disagree, I guess, per se on the censoring. But we can agree that. know they make mistakes they're humans as well but that doesn't mean that we should necessarily outlaw the internet because we don't like what they're saying or doing or pushing on the internet or on social media but even on the side of the right i know i am a conservative but i would be just as alarmed as the next person if a president and i don't think our president would do this i want to make that clear but you know in the future a president thought it would be smart to you know, enact this law because there's a crisis or a state of emergency over the freedom of speech on social media. And so they kill the switch of the internet or whatnot, or pieces of it through social media because of the censoring that's happening. I wouldn't want to see that happen either. So I do think even though there's not a national security reason, in my opinion, for this law to be enacted or, or acted upon, there are reasons that I could see president trying to manipulate use out of it.
2: Yeah, I actually found someone named... Brad Palombo, who's an editor at Young Voices, a libertarian media nonprofit. And it was really funny because I was reading his quote and I was just like, okay, this is is really true because it doesn't matter whether you despise Donald Trump or horrified at the thought of President Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. If the thought of your political opponents wielding unilateral control over the internet disturbs you, that's a good sign that the power is something that the government shouldn't have. And I think that that speaks true, honestly, for both sides, because regardless of who's in power, the thought of whether or not Ashley thinks that our current president would use this power, which he doesn't. And I honestly, I I just don't trust him. I think that he would use whatever power that he wants to for his own good. Um, yeah, it's just it's fearing on both sides of, of the aisle. It doesn't matter where you are. I think we can all at least come to somewhat of a consensus that this is just power that people should not be able to have.
1: Well, we also have a Congress that doesn't really understand the internet and social media. I don't know if anyone has watched those hearings, uh, but it's very clear that the knowledge of the internet and social media is very limited on uh, the Senate. And this is, I think, has to do a lot with, again, term limits, uh, which we've discussed in the last two episodes. But uh, again, another discussion. But we wanna be careful how much power we give to the government because of that. I think also uh, we should mention though how broad the language of the initial bill is. I mean, the initial bill is a World War II era law, okay? So it's really old, Um, it's archaic in some sense, but the language is so broad that it's not clearly stated how, when this could be used. And I think that also has a problem. It's not just the idea of how much power is in the president, but that has happened due to the broadness of the language of the bill. And I also would agree with Rand Paul that I'm more of a constitutional conservative. And I also believe in the context of language um, when it comes to the constitution, but I also carry that over to legislation. And I don't think this is what the bill was intended to be used for. The bill was intended to be used for, radio communications and transmissions, not the internet, not emails, not text messages, because those things didn't really exist. Not my hair dryer, not exercise equipment. So I don't think that's this is what the bill was intended for. So I think it would be wrong to then be able to um, use it for other means when it was clearly not the intention of the writers of the bill. And so I think that is why Rand Paul is onto something here.
0: Yeah, I, I agree, Ashley. I I think that the the senators and representatives who have supported these bills um, have recognized that it's a little outdated and it's vague enough to still be applicable, but the context in which the bill was originally passed just makes it unnecessary now.
2: All right. So I do want to bring up that Representative Gabbard and Senator Wyden both agree that their reasoning for wanting to unplug the kill switch is that they think that there's just too much power for one president to have. On the other hand, Senator Gary Peters, Democrat of Michigan, states that, you know, whether it's learning to protect yourself against a pandemic or stay in touch with loved ones or accessing medical and financial information, the Internet is a critical source to everyone, especially all Americans. And I think that that's really important, just having had a mom who was sick with COVID in the hospital and had only one way to contact her loved ones, which was through FaceTime for two weeks, not knowing if she was going to survive it or not. Um, I would hate for that to be turned off for anyone, especially right now. And I think that that is leading to impeccable timing. I think that this is most definitely necessary. And I kind of want to get the views of Ashley and Wyatt do we think this bill fits are we going to have our first bill that fits
1: drum roll i think this bill fits um, i'm so excited to finally say this and i have to say i'm so excited that the bill that i believe fits is also a bipartisan effort which i think is great and i will say the reason i think this bill fits is i think this is an archaic law that has very broad language um, that needs to be adjusted to current times and I believe the context is loss of the original legislation. And I don't see a national security reason, or I will—I should say, I see infrastructure that we have in place in the military now that would be able to handle any foreign threat that this bill was originally put into place to handle. And I will end on this this lovely quote from Tulsi Goward, quote, no president should have the power to ignore our freedoms guaranteed by the constitution and violate our civil liberties and privacy by declaring a national emergency. And I hope governors like Governor Newsom listens to this as well what do you think Wyatt
0: I'll be slightly less eloquent than Ashley I think but uh, for a lot of the same reasons the fact that repealing this section 706 through this bill wouldn't open us up to any threats to national security because we have other means to protect our communication um, from threats like cyber security attacks Um, the fact that this is a bipartisan bill makes it very strong. and I really hope that it will get support. Also, like she said, Congress should repeal archaic, outdated laws um, that open us up to, you know, threats to our privacy and our First Amendment rights. And Congress should definitely act to protect free speech and the right to organize, especially in virtual environments.
2: The bill most definitely fits, in my opinion. Um, I think that adding on to what you were saying that Congress should repeal archaic legislation. How about like even just amending it as the times go on? Like the fact that we're looking at 1934 legislation that is inclusive of a part of a country that is no longer a part of the U.S. It would just be nice if we were able to update legislation and amend it as time goes on so that it stays updated, but that's just a personal opinion. The bill fits. I'm very happy to say this. I'm proud of us.
0: Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of If The Bill Fits. Remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at If The Bill Fits.